Hello everyone and welcome back to Bald, Bold, and Gold. Very special episode today. We have our first real guest. I know we've had some people on kind of shoot the shit with us, but our first real interview in this episode. Great interview. We'll get right into that after this. And then after the interview, of course, we get into our regularly scheduled program, recapping last week in college football and previewing the Titanic matchup against the fighting Phil Jerkovics. All right. All right, Bob Bold and Gold listeners, we've had a few guests on this podcast, but you know, for the most part, they're just Notre Dame friend fans, friends of ours, one of our boys. Well, we have another one of those, but this guy happened to wear the gold helmet. Happy to announce our first uh, real college football player guest, man who wore the hat, Colin Gutsmer. Colin, for our listeners that may not know you, I know you know. You were a stud out there on the field, but give a little background on, you know, how you made the team as a walk on your experience as a Notre Dame football player. Of course. Thank, thanks so much for having me. So I think by way of background, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I played high school football, high school lacrosse, high school wrestling, and I ran some track as well. Um, I actually visited Dono as a uh, when I was a high school senior, Dono was a college sophomore, and he was gracious enough to host me on my Notre Dame visit. Um, when I got to campus, I was absolutely dead set on walking onto the lacrosse team. Uh, unfortunately, I think the the roster capacity had had different plans, so I was cut at tryouts day one. You know, I was a, a solid football player in high school, certainly nothing nothing crazy, um, but I figured maybe maybe give walking onto the football team a shot. Um, unfortunately, similar to, to lacrosse, I was cut at tryouts once more. So, you know, going into sophomore year, I, again, I guess pretty stubbornly wanted to try try lacrosse for, for one more go. Um, and I ended up making it through most of the fall season. And then I guess no surprise was uh, was cut towards the end of the fall season. And finally, my, you know, sophomore spring, I ended up making the team. Um, funny enough, that spring ended up getting canceled because of, uh, of COVID that spring season. But I think after uh, four attempts, I finally had had my roster spot. Um, and I certainly think perhaps I've been cut for more varsity teams at Notre Dame than, than anyone else. Uh, Colin, Colin, quick question in there, um, just for the listeners at home. While you were trying out for the varsity teams, were you doing anything else on campus that you think is worth mentioning? Yeah, so I think, I mean, especially especially sophomore year, um, I was really into, you know, what what can I control? What can I control that may have went awry last time? So um, the rugby team on campus was was gracious enough to, to host me during the fall, and, and I got to learn the sport of rugby, um, get out on the uh, get out on the field a little bit, and then um you know Bengal belts which is a phenomenal cause at, at notre dame that obviously you two are familiar with but um you know a boxing tournament that essentially raises raises money for um international missions is a fantastic cause alex tom and i had many friends participate um so absolutely phenomenal and then um ultimately i think my loyalty lies with the club lacrosse team on campus um commensurate with with making the uh the notre dame football team i was also active president of the the ever so talented club lacrosse team um which was i mean an absolutely phenomenal experience um 
at, at Notre Dame for me. Yeah, so so going into the tryout process itself, like you you weren't a PWO coming out of high school who you know sent film to the coaches or anything. What was it like? Just kind of show up, they give you pads, you run around. Did you send them film or anything? What was it like? Yeah, so I, I think prior to prior to that tryout, I probably had walked into the football office three or four times and and asked for information, that sort of thing. Um, so I mean, certainly I I was probably in there a little bit too much prior to prior to trials. But yeah, I'd sent my film in. Uh, I'd sent, I don't know, they asked for high school transcripts and such, make sure you're make sure you're eligible. But the actual, I think the actual <laughs> tryout is probably a little bit different than some may expect. Um just because, you know, there's rules about I, I don't necessarily know that you could throw a helmet on or, or pad up because you might count towards a practice. Um, so at least the tryout I went through is a lot more drill oriented. Um, and look for for someone that that cares a lot and they personally feel like they have a lot at stake. Like, yeah, it's a nerve wracking tryout. I remember being very nervous um, going into it, especially the first time around, um, because I mean, it's a, everything's on the line and, and one tryout, right? So um, it's, uh, it was a stressful process and I'm, I'm glad I saw it through to the, uh, the other side. Colin, one, one question on this tryout process, more so on the, on the second time around. Um, I, I I know you as as uh, an academic weapon of sorts. Uh, you're, you're an incredibly smart guy. Um, obviously, the drills that you're doing on the field won't show that. Was that? Do you think that played a role, knowing how much of a how, how much they could utilize your intelligence, um, which is which is what ended up coming a lot coming out of this? Was that something that you think factored into the second time around there? Look, I mean, I think it, at the end of the day, what what they're looking for. Um, and and look, I, I don't know if this is necessarily the case, but I think I think the way that um, people separate themselves is either been athletically or more like here's a guy that's going to you know come every single day and and give it their all and you know be a big part of the program in whatever way they can way they can fill. And um, to be truthful with you, even even though our club lacrosse experience might feel different, Tom, um, I don't think I was you know the athletic um impressor there like i think i was more of someone that had shown resilience throughout the tryout process um was super excited there i mean obviously you know there's a team of 115 or so really talented athletes and these coaches are working with with people that are are you know weapons on the field every day so it's going to be hard to go go to a tryout and be lights out versus that um I think it was it was certainly helpful that I had had my grades up and kind of had my head on straight. Um, and look, I think at, by the by the end of my you know time with the team, I was running defensive signals, right? So I think um, I'm not saying that that necessarily takes a an Albert Einstein per se, but um, it takes a certain bit of kind of you know understanding of the playbook, ability to pick up new concepts, ability to to communicate and teach um teach signals players that sort of thing be able to think under pressure so i think certainly it ended up ended up helping um and i'm glad that uh glad separately from football that i i tried very hard in, in school because i think that played to play to other ends as well yeah, definitely. And you touched on your role a little bit. We'll get into that. But, you know, starting a couple of years into your college career, you know, you hadn't been with the same group of guys as freshmen. Like you said, 115 guys. 
you know, once you know, you made the team, you tried out, they got it, you know, you get your number and everything. What was the process like of actually acclimating with the team? Did you jump right in the winter workouts? You know, how'd you earn the respect eventually, you know, work up to the role you had? You know, you were an important part of game days in the fall. Like, you know, you were right there next to the defensive coordinators, you know, a huge part of the game plan. How'd you earn that respect to your teammates? So I, I, think coaches, it's, I think I, I originally stood out, I think, in, in two ways, not necessarily in a good way, but but one, you know, I have a pretty unique last name. So so people had all types of different ways they butcher my last name, um, Gutsmer. So you'd hear various combinations combinations of that throughout the locker room. I think the the other way, perhaps, that was more out of my control, as I was given number forty five, which obviously has a little bit of a, of history to it as well. Um, but look, I mean, you know, there's one hundred fifteen people on on a team that have one one goal and they operate as one team. So I would say, you know, from my perspective at least, um, assimilating wasn't all that that big of a hurdle. Like at the end of the day, you're if you're the 115th person on the roster, there's 114 people that came before you that are all, um, you know, fully bought into something that, that you've wanted to be a part of for, for two years now. Right. Um, so I think for, for me, um, it was kind of a natural process and, you know, I owe a lot of that as well to the phenomenal coaches that, that welcomed me aboard, um, you know, joining, uh, Coach Freeman's linebacker room was was uh, nice and it was very welcoming. Coach Lazinski, who is now a linebacker coach at, at Vanderbilt, was in our room as well. He was absolutely fantastic. And then, you know, the guys in the linebacker room, the guys on the defense, um, especially just all super, super welcoming guys. And, you know, I think part of what makes the Notre Dame team different is just team mentality. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have a standard, we have a way we operate and it doesn't really waver regardless of, of who's on the roster. Um, Colin, so talk, let's make sure I want to get my, I have my ducks in a row here. Who were the two defensive coordinators you played for? And then was Freeman always your position coach while you were on the team? So coach, when I joined the team, coach Freeman was my linebacker coach and the DC as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the last after the Stanford away game of my senior year, um, Coach Kelly left for LSU. Coach Freeman stepped up to be the head coach. And then I planned to come back for another spring um, when Coach Freeman was now the head coach. And when um, Kelly went to LSU, yeah, yeah, took yeah, over yeah, his yeah, DC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, getting into that process, a little, it was literally like the Sunday after Stanford, the rumors start swirling, like, you know, we recorded an emergency podcast, you know, us sitting in our bedrooms in New York, you were there in the locker room. What was that like, you know, being a player, you know, I, you, you heard, I'm sure you heard the news from outside sources before, you know, Kelly actually came and told you. What was that like for you guys? Did you guys rally together? Did you know it was going to be Freeman? I'm sure there was a ton of uncertainty at that point. I think, I mean... Um, you know, the, for maybe that 24 hour period, like certainly a lot of, of uncertainty, but I think, I mean, it kind of gets back to what I was mentioning a few minutes ago, like no matter who's on the roster from, you know, players up to coaching staff, like we have a standard and we have a way we operate. So I'd say like, you know, mentality that week was, you know, 
we have a full game to prepare for. Um, or mentality that day was, you know, we have meetings to go through. We have a, a list to get through. Uh, we have a practice to get through. Um, so I think, look, certainly the Wild West, and I think, you know, people always tend to speculate in, in these situations. Um, and especially when you're a player in the locker room and, and, and these days you're seeing all sorts of speculation on, on social media and that sort of thing. It's easy to maybe get, get a little bit distracted. Um, but I think, you know, thinking back to, back to that, I think, you know, it takes a Notre Dame football team to be able to, to handle that in my humble opinion. Um, and certainly look there, Certainly there's conversations that, that the players don't see, that the players aren't privy to. But I think overall, you know, when you look at the outcome, how that process started and how the process ended, you know, we lost a, a highly regarded head coach and we retained a highly regarded new head coach, right? So I think all in all, uh, Notre Dame lives, obviously lived on as, um, as we continue to see, you know, both last season and, and this season as well. Yeah, Don. Callan, you so you got to play for both of them in, in, in one capacity or another. Can you kind of take the audience, me and the audience, through the difference in the coaching styles, right? Um, kind of how, how they how they approach game day versus uh, it's all the way down to like how they approach periods in practice. Can you kind of take us through the comparison between Freeman and, and Kelly? Yeah, so I, I mean the the number one difference from my perspective, I think is. In general, I think Coach Kelly probably spent a little bit more time with oversight in the offense, uh, whereas Coach Freeman, being from a defense background at least, and um, his original capacity in Notre Dame was very defensive focused. I'd say all in all, you know, um, opening opening a role and being a head coach at at an esteemed program like Notre Dame, like it takes a certain cadence of practice. It takes a certain cadence of of you know lists of meetings of just day to day, week to week, how's the team operating? Um, and, you know, I think for the most part, you know, part of that's just program level, like how does the, the program actually, actually operate? Um, so I think from, from like a continuity perspective, flipping from call it a, a coach Kelly to a, a Marcus Freeman schedule wasn't particularly jarring. Um, I would say, Perhaps some points of emphasis that that I noticed as uh, as Coach Freeman transitioned on is, you know, we he he took the mentality. For example, I always remember, you know, we'd open up practice with some sort of of competition, right? And there's a win, there's a winner and a loser in these competitions. You know, I I really appreciate it. I think the team did as well. Um, just his kind of focus on on competitive spirit. It's something he'd emphasize to us every single meeting every single day is you know we're going to be one of the most competitive teams um in everything we do right whether it be a drill whether it be a practice whether it be a game um so I, it's a small small example but i think um it's an interesting kind of shift on on what an opener looks like um and kind of sets the tone for practice sets the tone for the day that's certainly not to say that that um, coach kelly's openers were were light um or or not competitive um but it, it was just interesting to see you know a, a ton of intentionality about you know sometimes we'd open up with a competition before meetings right um there's even wins and losses meetings 
Um, so that's something I really appreciate. And I think it's something that, that the team got behind pretty early. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think you see it in the team, like, you know, everyone's competing every snap and, and one thing you kind of touched on earlier was that, you know, especially during the transition, like the program essentially was running itself. And I think that's, you know, ultimately it's culture. And then it's also leaders in the locker room, the other coaches from your time at Notre Dame, you know, are there a couple players or even a couple coaches that in particular stood out to you as just, you know, elite people or any, you know, any, or specifically, you know, any stories in general that, you know, you remember to this day that you'll look back to when you were playing at Notre Dame, like, you know, that's what I'm going to take away from it. So, I mean, coach, coach Reese is an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, obviously his decision to, to stay um, was kind of a, a big announcement for the offense and the program in general and something that, that people rallied behind. And I remember, you know, Matt Bayless in the weight room the, the next morning when he addressed us um, and sharing that, you know, he was planning to playing to stay like that's, I mean, I don't think people realize how much time players actually spend with these coaches and how much, you know, players have actually, obviously the coaches invest a ton in the players, but the players invest a ton in the coaches as well. Um, so when you think about someone like Matt Bayless, who you're spending essentially your entire summer with, but then also call it, you know, eight hours just in the weight room per per week and then also seeing him at every single practice like having someone like that say you know we're notre dame like this is a machine like we're going to keep going we have a goal to prepare for like that's something you rally behind you know i think the there's a laundry list of coaches that that shared that same leadership uh, both in that situation and throughout my entire time there and i'd say you could say the same thing about the players on their roster but i'd say the ones some of the ones that come to mind, right, are the Kurt Heinishes of the world, the Myrons of the world, um, the Bo Bowers of the world, the Kyle Hamiltons of the world, the Jack Combs. Um, I mean, an absolute, absolute laundry list there. But when you think about, you know, depth of, of leadership at, at Notre Dame, both, you know, my senior year and then going forward, it's always been tremendously impressive just how many um, kind of crew program kind of heroes there are in a roster at any given time. Colin, do you see any of those um, those coaches that, that you that you played under uh, offensive versus defensive side? Do you do you think one one above the above all else has a is on a on a seriously quick track towards maybe an, a coordinator position or a head coaching position? Obviously, I think I, I think very highly of our staff on the whole, but guys like Mickens and, and O'Leary kind of come to mind as, as guys who who I think are, are on a lightning path and I, I would hate to see leave Notre Dame in, in any capacity. No, I, I completely agree. And honestly, you know, I'm not as close to it as, as I once was, right? But I think mm-hmm. one thing I realized is, or got to observe at least a little bit, is how, um, how a career in coaching kind of functions or how a career in coaching will kind of work. And what, what I'll say, right, is when you think about uh, Tommy Reese and his development at Notre Dame and then, you know, eventually hired Alabama's OC. Um, and when you think about, you know, the O'Leary's, like you mentioned, the Mickens that, the, that you mentioned, like, you know, Notre Dame is the epitome. Uh, it's one of the epitomes of where you want to be as a, as a position coach, whether, you know, 
whether your plan is to spend a career there as a as a position coach or to continue developing as a coach, right? So I would say, you know, it seems like there's always calls that that get made, and I I think Notre Dame coaches have to be certainly hearing from them, right? Um, just given the recent success of the program, to your point, Tom, thinking through the success of their respective position groups, um, and I I think in general, right, like. Um, the program, I think, like I've said a few times, the program's a machine. Like there's no, there's certainly no room to hide for, for players, but there's especially no patience or anywhere to hide for, for coaches. Right. I mean, you, you talk about one head coach and maybe 10 position coaches. That's an extremely lean coaching roster to manage 115 players or so. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that Notre Dame kind of retains the best in the business and um it would be absolutely no surprise to me that if those guys are are getting calls um just just in general right um and i think it's something we've observed for a while right like when you think about a nick Lazinski, um elevating from you know his role in Notre Dame to the linebacker coach vanderbilt um and we saw the same thing with you know freeman's predecessor and um, then become vanderbilt's head coach um, so there's certainly those, those calls certainly get, get made. And I'm sure any, any staff member at Notre Dame likely feels those. Yeah. All right. So, so switching to, you know, your role, you know, you were signaling in the defense, correct. When you're there. So in, in the news, this whole week has been the whole Michigan scandal. You know, they're sending guys to games, recording signals on the sideline. And I think you are probably the best person in the Dame world to ask about this. Um, you know, how did that process work? How did it go week to week? Did you change it up to kind of protect against this? And ultimately, you know, how much of an impact would it make? You know, I know you guys have multiple people out there signaling, but, you know, how much of an impact you know, would it make if someone was stealing the signs and what did you do at Notre Dame to kind of guard against that? So I'll hit the kind of the impact. Um, first, I think, you know, there are at the end of the day, like there's, it's 11 on 11. Um, but also, you know, having, having that information asymmetry and, and knowing what's, what's coming up can be extremely advantageous. Right. Um, so look, I think, you know, having having part of having an edge is having a view on on play calling right whether that be a formation based view whether that be a personnel based view whether that be you know seeing how players are on the line of scrimmage and looking for tells or whether that be you know scouting and and trying to figure out um you know what what's going on from a, a literal on the other side of the sideline what's going on um i would say from our perspective um I mean, you could probably probably observe it um, at any game you go to, right? On the on the defensive side, there's at least three people signaling, and on the offensive side, there's I think two or three signaling as well. Um, I believe signs go up for the most part um, to cover their their backs, um, and people are on the headset and they're being told to do you know they're being told to do their role in that signaling process, right? Um, and, you know, there's a reason why um, there's a lot of emphasis put on it. Um, and I think there's a, you know, it'll be interesting to see where this story in the news will will go. Um, I think it's, I mean, 
I'm curious as a as a participant in social media where it had um certainly no skin on the game from from my side, but um you know it it'll be very interesting. But yeah, I think you would be you would be surprised at how kind of large an operation um signaling can be. And and to your point, I think, you know, when you think about varying varying things up or changing things up week to week there's two changes that that may occur like the first is maybe you're literally changing what's what's being signed or what like what motions are being used um or how you're communicating with your you know legs arms whatever else you communicate with how you're communicating the other thing that just changes week to week naturally is a a function of the game of football it's like the the package that's installed for the week right um so you know, there's a fairly heavy turn just based on what the what the call set looks like for the week. Um, and you, I think the other thing that might perhaps surprise people is how um, little overlap there can be week to week. I mean, especially when when we'll play a team with a you know unique unique offense. Um, you know, the the package will obviously look a lot different um, for the defense that week versus others. Colin, on that uh, on that signal piece, I, I got a chance to, uh, in preparation for this, I went back and watched your ND Day interview with Jordan Cornette, which I thought you did a phenomenal job in. So kudos Thank to you there. Uh, you mentioned to him, I think that you, uh, or maybe maybe it was the maybe it was one of the uh, post practice interviews through media, but you mentioned that you have up, you guys at points had upwards of 250 to 300 different signals from a defensive standpoint. As the signaler yourself, is it your responsibility to come up with those individually, or are you guys are you working directly with Freeman? Like you working directly with the DC to figure out what he wants those signals to be as well, or are they really just like, hey, Colin, go get creative and figure out what what motions you want to do you want to reflect this? I think, yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of a mix, right? Obviously, there's yeah. a little bit of oversight because um, <laughs> at the end of the day, there's again like they're in the top program. There's a there's a top job to get done. Um, <laughs> But at the end of the day, like everyone, everyone on the team has to spend spend time a certain way, and I would say I spend a good bit of time with with playbook and thinking thinking through signals, right? And the other thing you'll realize pretty quick is, you know, when you send around, let's say when you send around video for the day on on what the signal installation will be, yeah. if someone responds like this makes no sense to me or like I have no clue what this is, then you know pretty fast, you know. All right, this one is uh, this one needs to get switched out, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there are a lot of spirited debates uh, amongst both players and, and coaches. I'd say um, weighing in on how things should look or or what different cadences should be. Um, but it's fun, right? And again, when you think about when you think about being walk on in a program um, from Atlanta, Georgia, like really no reason to be playing football in, in Northern Indiana. Um, it was a pretty cool way to get exposure to, you know, um, all the different coaches across, across the defense, um, and certainly get a, you know, strong relationship with, uh, with all the people in the, the defense meeting room as well. Uh, thank you, Colin. I know we don't want to take up too much time, Tom. I think I have one more and I know you have another as well is, you know, obviously you got to see some great moments in Notre Dame football. If if you had to point to one, we'll, we'll go on the field in the games. You know, what was your favorite moment when you were out there in uniform 
I think uh, I think Chris Tyree's uh, kick return at Soldier Field um, was probably one of the best Notre Dame football memories I'll have. Um, I mean, what what a phenomenal game at a historic stadium. Uh, pretty interesting matchup with with Jack having transferred from Wisconsin. Um, so look, I mean, every every game is the most important game, and the week it's being played, but. That one felt um, very special, and I think it's a it's a great memory for me. I'm sure it's a great memory for Chris, um, and certainly the guys involved with that unit as well. Um, but that was a phenomenal phenomenal game to be a part of. Phenomenal uh, moment for for us, I think, and certainly I think shifted the momentum of that game, and it was a, a ton of fun to to be around. And I think, look, that's that's favorite team moment. But the one thing I'll say is. You know, first time running out of the the tunnel at a home game, that's absolutely breathtaking. Um, so that was pretty cool, too. And uh, honestly, it doesn't really get old. Um, so the first time was felt surreal. And then guess what? The second time and all the times that followed also felt the same way. Um, so, you know, those those were very special moments as well. Um, but, you know, whole whole entire experience from the dog days of summer to uh practices in the snow to you know home games with the lights on um everything was was awesome uh, absolutely loved loved my time there and thankful for the people that that made it happen and and the teammates and coaches as well yeah colin i think what's what's really cool about the two moments that you mentioned both your team one and your personal one is that we get to you get to experience them as players you get to experience them on the field uh, with the Tyree one, D and I got to experience them as fans, but two different ways, right? Like I, I will forever, because I wasn't at the game, I had the chance to watch at a bar. I will forever have the Gus Johnson call drilled into my head. Like true, truthfully, one of my favorite football moments in the past five years as well. D, you were in the stadium, I believe. So you I, was in, I, I was in the stadium. I was in line for the bathroom because it was after That's four. Right. Yeah. I, it. <laughs> I, I heard the stadium going nuts and Wisconsin had all the momentum and I heard more cheering. I was like, Oh, oh no! What happened? We fumbled the kick. Now yeah. walk out and everyone's going nuts. I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" See, I forgot about the big playroom. But then also, yeah. Colin, like you, uh, you said like your first time walking through the tunnel. Like I'll never forget my first time being in Notre Dame Stadium to just have the have that first the, that five minutes before kickoff is just like to me the most special five minutes of my year every year when I'm there. Um, and like you said, it doesn't get old. My last question. Uh, that way we can let you get back to what you're whatever you're doing. Um, for you this year, you get to watch football through a bit of a different lens than D and I do. Uh, both, both, I think D and I both love a game of football, love college football, definitely our favorite sports. But you having the chance to play it and be part of the team and, and be in the locker room, for for you watching this this Notre Dame team, what has been the biggest the, the biggest surprise, either position group or player for you? Uh, obviously, you weren't like around the summer and stuff. You didn't get to live with the team, but you get to watch us through a bit of a different lens. What were some What was something that's catching you off guard in a positive way this year? Uh, from this team yeah i think i mean honestly it probably reflects poorly on on me because to some extent it seems like i underestimated the people that i should have thought would be as standout as they have been um you know when i think about the jd bertrands the marius leah fouls audrick estime who you know when he when he came in as a freshman i remember um still looks just as humongous as he is today and the Joe Waltz, the Blake Fishers. So I think um, all of that's been very pleasant from the existing roster. Um, and then certainly like plenty of new additions standing out as well, right? Which is always a, a sign of a 
I think a great program, flourishing program, um, both in the in the coaching rooms and then also in the in the player meeting rooms as well. Um, and I think you know seeing Xavier Watts have such a standout game against USC, um, that felt really good too. Xavier and I took a we took a few classes together while I was at Notre Dame, uh, so um, had a few uh, proud moments of of him. And I mean, what a what a phenomenal. Um, you know, phenomenal team effort um, and a phenomenal individual effort by Xavier Watts as well. And funny enough, when we were at um, at Notre Dame prior to Ohio State, I think, you know, um, College Game Day did a feature on Xavier Watts too. So um, it's good to good to see the team uh, performing extremely well, but also very happy for, for X. Yeah, I, I, I think that's all we got. I know you're a busy man took this phone call from the office. So really appreciate it. That was a fucking awesome interview. You killed it. Fans will love it. Um, yeah. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. Of thanks course, guys. Thank, thanks for having me on. Maybe we get you back sometime. We can do this again. Yeah. yeah I gotta get, I, I gotta get my picks in one day. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, we'll get your picks in. We'll definitely get your picks in. Not this week, but soon. All right. All right. Thanks guys. Sounds good guys. Thank you. So, yeah. Big shout out to Colin for coming on. Think he did absolutely incredible job. Uh, he now holds the title of best interview we've ever done on this podcast. I uh, would love to do more if you want to get interviewed. Uh, just you know who to reach out to. And for now, back to regularly scheduled programming. Week ten? Is it ten coming up? I have nine on the picks, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean week zero for us starting. In right. Yeah early august 10th episode of the year full swing contenders pretenders but if i had to say one thing about the last week in college football it was a week of survive in advance not a lot of good football being played some teams took care of business some teams didn't we saw some stinkers across the entire country uh, i guess we could start there the marquee matchup ohio state penn state what a just generally kind of awful football game. Yeah, I thought the defenses really stood out. I thought defense played played really really well. Uh, Maggie Diaz has his has his, had his guys going. Like I, I thought, even though our guy Maserati Marv had a really nice day, <laughs> <laughs> our guy Maserati Marv had a, had a really nice day. The Penn State defense did a really good job all the way around. Um, I will say, Mike Yurcich, who is the Penn State offensive coordinator. Uh, made Jared Parker look like he was prime Mike uh, Josh McDaniels. Like he, I mean that that if you thought Notre Dame offenses, the Notre Dame offense has struggled the last few weeks. Take a look at what they Penn State tried to put together this weekend in Columbus because it was ugly. It was so, very very ugly. Two things. First off, you're right there, Slev. Penn State Drew Aller, that whole coaching staff was just not ready. They're just not ready to take the next step. Like they have all these dudes, they just have not pieced together as a football team. And two is Josh McDaniels prime. Josh McDaniels, your like pinnacle of OC. No, 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 no. He was just the one that popped into my head. Yeah, no. I was gonna say. All right. Oh, without yeah, no, I have some really good play callers in mind, but some of them are rivals or hours, and I try not to use them <laughs> when I don't have to. Yeah, I wouldn't say uh, Drew Aller played like prime Tom Brady. No, uh, by any the comparison, means. stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Start and yeah. finish there. Yeah, you brought up how Penn State just looked like they weren't ready to make the next step. Like it was a close game, but 
they never felt like they threatened. Like there's a big difference between I think Notre Dame and Penn State. Not when we'll get into Notre Dame and everything you know, throughout this pod, but like you know, two programs who have essentially been in very similar spots of late Notre Dame and Penn State, kind of you know, fighting in that tier two. There's a clear difference, you know, does it make me feel any better about the Ohio State game? No, but yeah. I I might say that makes me more confident that they might be able to hang with Michigan. Because I thought from a toughness standpoint, Michigan would walk all over Ohio State, but Ohio State showed me a little bit more in the trenches than I thought they would. They played mm-hmm. harder and they held up a little bit more. Um that I think that makes them a little bit more complete as a football team. They'll get a Mecca Gwuba back at some point. I don't know, maybe Cal Comicord can play out of his gourd one day and make it happen. But like they were tougher than I thought they would be. Yeah, I thought I thought they played I thought they played really hard on, on both lines of scrimmages. I, I guess I wasn't terribly impressed with the I actually think that their defensive line will hold up better against the, mm-hmm. the Michigan's offensive line. I think where they're gonna have a problem is probably on the Ohio State's offensive line against Michigan's defensive line. They're just unfortunately unfortunately for me, because I hate giving them compliments, but like Michigan defensive line is really, really good and really, really deep. They rotate eight, nine guys who can all really, really play. So, uh, I, but I, I was impressed with them overall in the trenches. I thought that they, uh, I think hiring Jim Knowles honestly just made them a tougher team overall. Like mm-hmm. they, they just, they just look, they just look like more, a more physical team. Um, I will say, you know who I was pretty unimpressed with on the whole was uh, the Penn State offensive tackle, Fashanu. Yeah. Uh, I think that for the people that J- Joe Alt may have made himself money on the bye week this week. Just by not playing? Just by not playing. Um, because I thought he had a much better day against J- uh, against JTT and Jack Sawyer than Fashano did uh, against those same guys a few weeks later. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Ohio State, like they're a contender in a year where almost everyone's a contender in a sense. It's starting to whittle down a little bit. But, you know, like I said, th- this year's weird. Survive in advance. They were able to do that. We saw some teams falter at that. You know, I don't think Carolina's a game we could touch on too much. But it was an undefeated North Carolina team playing a bad Virginia team. They stumbled. We saw other teams continue to struggle. One team and kind of one of the bigger games that, you know, I want to touch on is, you know, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They keep chugging along. I thought, you know, it's it's been this theme all year. It's like, are they done? Nope. Then they come back and win. 27-0 in the second half. Are they starting to figure out a little? I think that team could – they could come out of the SEC. Uh. Yes, I, I I think the door is open for them to to get to Atlanta for sure. Like like I think I, I think they got a good shot at beating LSU, and if they're through LSU, they're basically home as far as getting. You, getting I, I want to talk about West. that. I think that's a bad matchup for Bama, to be honest. You think so? Yeah, because where I mean, where LSU is terrible is on the outside defensively at their corners in the passing game, and like I don't think Jalen Jale, Miller has it in him to like fully exploit it. Because LSU will score. Jaden Daniels has a good thing going at LSU right now. I, I don't know. I, I think that that is just it, a tough matchup for Bama. Because where it, they need to exploit LSU, they can't. It is the matchup. It's it's going to be a matter of like I, – I think 
the Alabama offense will get theirs against the LSU yeah. secondary will be if they if they get theirs plus because everybody's gotten theirs plus against that LSU secondary. It's a matter of if if Bama can kind of get to that next level against it because they give up big plays. Like they they give, I mean they give up all the yeah. short plays too. But if they hit it, if Alabama can hit enough big plays, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. But D, back to your original point, man. Like they, I thought they looked they looked. Defense looked really good again this weekend. Uh, Joe Milton, I'm still a little underwhelmed with, but uh, they, wow. they have it, it can it, it's there for them. I think for Bama to get back to at least get back to Atlanta. Joe Milton is who we thought we were. Exactly who we thought he was at Michigan. Like we've given him six years, and he's kind of still the same guy. Big arm, but doesn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like I said, there's teams that faltered. Carolina. One. That's shocking. That is shocking. No, that how is, shock how does that, that happen? How does that happen? Like, if if it's not Mac Brown at, at like leading that program, you're talking like this guy doesn't have it. This guy can't be future because that's a game you can't lose type thing. How do you lose that game at home with the potentially number one overall pick against a it, one in five Virginia team that had nothing going for him? It, it's so weird. I think they said. I think they they were talking today that Tez Walker had like nineteen something targets. targets like, I think yeah. he had nineteen targets. That's a lot of targets for to go one way, man. It didn't sound like I actually didn't get much eyes on that game, just given the window that it was in, because we were we were locked in on Clemson, Miami. But it does not sound like Drake May had his finest day either. Um, what I've heard, and I I saw a little bit of it, is that there were some bad yeah. drops. There were some bad yeah. drops. Not only from Tez Walker, but from the other receivers. Like Drake May actually did what he could. Mm-hmm. Like he just didn't nobody else showed up. They weren't ready to play. At home. At home. Yeah. At yeah. home's bad. And that, that that Virginia team is really, really bad. And I I like I don't know if you guys feel one way or another on it, but I, I don't necessarily think Tony Elliott has the stuff there. Uh, I think he's he's I think he's, 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 he's probably a great coach, but like Virginia yeah. is such a right. I was gonna say out. he's fighting with a hand behind his back. Anyways, yeah. but I just don't think that's gonna be that's gonna be a long, like a, a long lasting situation, and I, I, that's just such a bad loss, man. Yeah, and speaking, so let's stick in the ACC for a bit. Duke, Florida State was my in a weekend where there wasn't a lot of great football. The first two and a half quarters of that game, Duke, awesome. Florida State, that was awesome. Guys yeah. running all over the field, that was physical. Mm-hmm. And then you know it just kind of sucks. Riley Leonard goes out, and the wheels just came off yeah the thing is they they got out of hand quickly and i I think the biggest uh, my biggest thing from this game is is not actually about this game it's about this week that if duke and this was something that uh covered three just touched on as well but like if if duke chose to play riley leonard this week and he was not 100 percent healthy and he could have used one extra full week and they and he is completely lost this week against Louisville. They may have played themselves with that decision. They may have played themselves out of an ACC chance a chance at an ACC title. Because if yeah. you lose, if you lose, if you lose one game to a marquee opponent because Riley Leonard's out, fine. But if you lose two games because you try to play him, he get he he gets hurt and then he can't play the following one against probably the beat the more beatable of the two opponents. Uh, man, that's gonna look really bad. You kind of throw two games away there for no for no for no reason, um, and you and you hope you hope that he's healthy for North Carolina in a few weeks. But I, I don't know if he's gonna like. I'm sure he'll try, and they really need him to go. But 
he did, they, they he did not look great. Week, don't they? That's what I'm saying, right? Like, if you yeah. chose to play him and now you don't have him for Louisville, you really shot yourself in the foot there. Yeah. I echo a lot of that, but, like, what I saw was Duke, they played hard. They they, played they did hard. play they hard. They played hard ball. And yeah. early on, their defense was standing up, like, making making some really, really good stops, get them in that game. Um, I, I think they just got gashed, out physical toward the end, didn't have enough left. The offense couldn't stay on the field. Um not a not a gambling conversation right now, but like that was that should have been a cover. That I, was I so much I, closer. Sean and I were on my couch watching the game, and I like we could like we blinked, we blinked. They were up, they were up. Was it twenty to seventeen? They're like, yeah. oh my, oh my, yeah, we're home here, right? Like, like that's taken care of. All of a sudden, you blinked, and they were down, uh, and and they were not covering anymore. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that's been missing this year in college football, maybe outside of Michigan, is a team that, like, when they get going, they really get going. Florida State, with the dudes they have on offense, like, they have dudes at quarterback, running back, receiver, all three positions have game breakers. And, you know, Duke, you know, like you said, defense gets tired. Those guys got loose. That's the game. Florida State, I think, has the offense, or at least the offensive talent, to compete with mm-hmm. anyone in the country. Like I said, it's yeah. all about them staying mentally locked in. Yeah, Keon Coleman was like was double bracketed the whole diet, still made a couple catches, but he takes so much attention. Florida State's D line is relentless too. Like Jared Verse is a beast. Duke has correct if I'm wrong here, but they got a solid O line. Yeah, the ta- their ta- their tackle's real good, and he was back yeah. healthy. He was fully yeah. fully healthy this week, no doubt about it. And Florida State got after it, got after Leonard, who Granted, couldn't move around, but I think they're a good team. If they're focused and they have a, have it all going, they're a good team. Yep, I agree. Like I said, contend. There, there's a bunch of these teams at the top. They show signs of vulnerability. Saw it in the Big Twelve, Texas, Oklahoma, both struggled. Big time. Generally, um, both easily could have lost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have a bone to pick. I have a bone to pick with two point conversion plays. Because it was it was actually insane. You UCF ran this this double pass for their basically you need your best three yard play in the book, and they ran a double pass to try to tie the game. Inexcusable, very very bad play call. And then I think it was Penn State ran it twenty minutes later on the uh, in Columbus. Yeah, you know, the, the UCF ran it in Norman, and then Penn State ran the same exact play trying to double pass it. I hate the freaking double pass like that down down at three yard line. It's supposed to be to me like that's a shot play that if you get yeah. up, you know, if you're on the plus side of the field and you're first and ten or second and three, it's a great play. Get rid of it in the playbook for for well, inside in the goal line. The point of the play is to get the safeties to bite, right? And right, get the where are they going to go? The top. Where are they going to go with three yards left? I, I can't. I, I was so I was so frustrated with both of those with both both of those things happening uh, within twenty minutes of each of each other. Yeah. Like I said, everyone's got cracks. Um, you know, yeah. some teams you see, you see the mentally strong teams. You know, Texas, Oklahoma, still able to pull it out. Quinn Ewers, one team. Out. Yeah, Quinn yeah. Ewers. That's big. Yeah, they just have to get by and get another crack at Oklahoma. But I don't who know do they, who do they have. Do they, are they on a bye? Kansas. Week? They have Kansas State. Um, they have Kansas State this week. Yeah, uh, they, have BYU, they have BYU this week. BYU this week. BYU. At home against BYU, which is oh, probably fine. But. Yep. 
Yeah. Is Arch going to play? No, no, I think it's going to be Malik Murphy. Like I mean, if he gets hurt, Arch has to play. But That'd be fun. Yeah. So it's be fun. at home against BYU and then at home against Kansas State, at TCU, at Iowa State, close against Texas Tech. Kansas State and Iowa State are both still in this thing. The big, I know, like whether we think they actually have the team or not, standings wise, Kansas State and Iowa State both still have a shot. So that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. crazy year. But like I said, mentally tough teams. They won this week. Mentally weak teams. They did not. I am looking at you, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. They got out tough. Uh, yeah. They're not good. They're not good. And it's so funny. Like we, we really think about how Utah has this huge advantage, especially when they're at home in, in Rice Eccles, right? Like it's just a really tough place to play. And I feel like they always play so much better at home than they do on the road. And it just didn't matter. Like they, yeah. they still went in and, and completely out physical USC in the Coliseum. Frustrating that we didn't break the plays that Utah broke because Utah's yes. offense is, is pretty inept mm-hmm. uh, at times. And they were open it up. Like every time I looked over there, they had a 60 yard run play. Yeah. 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 Caleb yeah. Williams. Clemson. D, D, I was, D, I was calling, I called this out earlier. I thought there was some really uh, real men of genius move here by, uh, by Kyle Whittingham. So every time USC subbed, <laughs> Kyle Whittingham took his biggest and slowest defensive lineman and subbed him onto the field or, so, or, so, or got a sub with the two biggest defensive linemen, which took a ton of time to the point where the ref was standing over USC, not letting them snap the ball until the substitution was complete. So USC wasn't really getting to their cadence until about six, seven, eight seconds left on the play clock. Whittingham, whenever they sub, did a really nice job of extremely slowing down USC and then not really giving them a look either, not giving them a chance to make those sideline adjustments, which they love to do. So really good job by Kyle Whittingham there. Washington, tough. Uh, yeah, Washington, not a good day either, man. I couldn't. I, I saw that score almost threw up 15-7. Yeah. No touchdowns. I think they're really banged up on the offensive yeah. side of the ball was the, the sense I got there. Um, yeah. Clemson. Ooh, something's wrong. Dude. Something's wrong. Like Dabo with this whole, like we built this program with the name, image, likeness of God, but like the name, image, likeness of God can't run an out route. Like you need to <laughs> do it's like, and it, it's, they, they haven't, adjusted to the modern i just don't think they've adjusted modern college football and he's trying to build this on culture but the culture of college football has changed and he hasn't adjusted with it i think i think they as a program are in trouble of escaping to mediocrity yeah like like it doesn't does it feel like it's tinkering on that right like yeah it has been for a few years now right yeah like and the other thing too is you have to have some sort of I'm just curious what the relationship is between Dabo and Cade right now, because it can't, whether be, it can't Cade, be better after Saturday, right? It can't be better, and I'm I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out what 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 relationship capital was there ahead of time that he that Dabo thought it was okay to in the press conference after the game just throw Cade under the bus. Listen, I I it again it was Cade's fault. Like it's not a read option; he's supposed to hand it off. To say that to the media on Saturday night directly after the game and not keep that in house, like that is 
to me, that's that's not good. I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty pissed about that. Bottom Bad line, decision. You, you don't don't. Be in that, shouldn't be. Yeah, in that shouldn't be in that anyways. position anyways. Definitely shouldn't be in that position anyways. Yeah, I think Slev, you probably have more eyes on it than we did, but I mean, I don't think Miami is a great football team. No, you should not. You should not be in double overtime with Miami. No, and like, listen, Clemson has. Nobody to blame but themselves for everything they've that has happened to them this year. Yeah, hold on to the damn ball. Right, like, exactly. I was, did, how many times? How many times you want to fumble on the goal line? Like, yeah, hold on to the rock, man. Get in. Also, like very underwhelmed the Clemson's offensive line. I think Miami's defensive line. If there's one part about Miami that's for real, it's not their head coach. If for sure is their defensive line. I think their defensive <laughs> line is actually really good, but Clemson's offensive line looked. Not great. If I'm watching this film as Howard Cross or John uh, or Baptiste or Riley. You know, Hel- or uh, Riley Mills, like you got to be saying, like you got to be lick- licking your lips, saying, like let's get after these guys when we get down there, especially now that it's not a night game. Yeah, that's yeah. big. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, right. Anything else we want to hit on? Who's going to win uh, the Heisman? I was just about to ask. I wanted to pull up the Heisman odds and say, "Give me, a, give me a pick." But uh, I don't know if I can pick somebody right now. <laughs> I think, first of all, I did. I was watching. They're my lock of the week. I'm sorry, the Wolverines. I did watch. They looked really good. JJ they looks did. really good. He does not. He's not a Heisman. He's not a Heisman. No, he's not making he, any plays. That like he's he's very good and he makes their team better, but he's just not going to win the Heisman. I don't like. I still think. Penix, if he gets it done, fuck, I don't know, man. It can't be JJ. It can't be JJ. But the Heisman Trophy is supposed to go to the best player in college football. There's nothing that JJ McCarthy has done this year. Right. Like Mich- Michigan, like I'll say it, they're a very good football team. Yeah, it's not like JJ's winning games for them. Like they're, no. I mean, they're throttling. He's hitting everyone. the open guy who um, usually is. Wild. I think there's two names. Yeah, there's. There's two um there's two names I'm thinking of now that that are kind of interesting. Uh and they're both kind of dependent on how the rest of the season goes, but like I am looking at Jaden Daniels is plus 300. I think that's I think that's probably a little lower than I'd want it to be. But if they beat Bama, right? If you like if you if you were in the camp that says LSU is going to beat Bama, then I'd get on that now. Yeah. Or uh Jordan Travis is plus 800. I think that's a pretty good price for a team that says, hey, they they run the table, they win the ACC, they're in the playoff. Like, he's guaranteed to be there at, in, at, in New York, right? And then the other one, yeah, these are these are Heisman odds that are three, four, and five right now. Uh, the fifth one is a long shot. It's Dylan Gabriel. This is another one that if you think Oklahoma's going to run the table, if you think Texas is going to beat him in the Big Ten in the Big 12 championship, then I wouldn't think about this. But if you think Oklahoma's going to run the table, same situation with Jordan Travis. Uh, he'll be there, right? He'll at least be in New York, no doubt about it. So other than that, I wouldn't really bother with any of these names because I don't think – I think McCarthy is – is had, had McCarthy's chances to win the Heisman are, to me are, are similar to that of Ian Book's chances to win the Heisman week I went defeated. You know, like, don't get me wrong. Serving their program really well. Yeah, A little better, but it's, but, it's the same. Penix Penix is fading fast, in my opinion, and I don't think I don't think Knicks is going to have it. So, I think Penix is going to have plenty of other shots to get right back up there, though. Mm-hmm. Big ones. Have, he's short though. He's short right now though. He's three plus three hundred. Yeah. Yeah. 
But if you think he's going to have plenty more shots, he won't. He won't get lower than that. So, what a weird year. Very what if? Year, what man. about Maserati? Maserati Marv. Maserati Marv. He he's plus twenty five. He hasn't put up enough video game numbers, but no, God, he's he so good. Plus two, plus uh, twenty five hundred. So that's a that's what we call that's we call a good old fashioned good price. But if we're talking best player in college football, I do think he's part of the conversation. Yes, yes. I just don't think, but I I don't think that's he'll not have what the award. That's not what the award is right now. No, and I don't think it's Devonta Smith season just quite right. He's gonna he's gonna make an NFL team really happy, and and they'd be really lucky to get him. But I I Do don't we, think it's a Heisman season for him just quite. Should we mention Iowa? Like, is that? Oh, it's hilarious. um. That was a that was another bad beat for me uh, on that one. I, I really thought I was gonna win. Was gonna win that game. I did not think that that was a fair catch, and I no. don't. I no. just completely disagree with the rule. I completely and disagree nobody with on the field. The it, I think. That was so messed up because nobody in the field thought it was a fair catch either. No, everybody like, played every the entire minute. Nobody team went about and, and pulled up because they thought he called a fair catch. Sure, yeah, whatever. But no, everybody played. That's it. Everybody played like it was ready to go. What happened? Uh, Minnesota scored. Yeah, Doyle, if you're listening to this, oh, we need Minnesota Lord. to keep scoring. Sorry, buddy. Got a big oh shit roommate <laughs> out there watching it, and he's British, <laughs> so it must have been a big play. It was it was quite the big play. Uh, you, um, one last thing I want to touch on here because it's in the news this week, especially today, developed even a little bit more. They oh, got yeah. this Let's... guy from Michigan on CCTV <laughs> footage from each of the stadiums. They got him actually on tape. filming filming this this guy. They got this guy filming the the signals. I want to ask Colin about that when we, when, we, when yeah. he's on here. That'll be a good one. Thanks. Yeah. But man, I, I, I am intrigued now. Like Harbaugh also was on tape saying, "I knew nothing about this." Yeah, there's no shot. He knew nothing about perjury. It. There's not an email. There's not anything that's that's going around. Yeah, there, there's, there, got, there's got to be one. Lack of institutional control is right. how the NCAA right. likes to put it. And don't but get me wrong, I I do think it's a a little bit of like a, a goose chase, but like they're co- they're coming after him. The NCAA is they could do this on a lot to a lot of programs. They just hate them, which I love. Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine with it. I you won't yeah. you won't see me supporting the NCAA except in this case I'll be I'll be carrying yeah. water. I'll be carrying water for Waving that fine institution in Indianapolis <laughs> for quite a while here. Yeah. The the unfortunate thing is that like they move so slow that like I I just unless the Big Ten who can probably move on a faster timeline. Like if they move faster and they have evidence going back years of this, like what if they ban them from the Big Ten title game? Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, they'd be actually. I don't even know that's all. I feel like bad for college football because so many programs definitely do this. But yeah, it's Michigan, so fuck them. Yep. Got a, you got a fraud else? of the you got a fraud of the week. A fraud of the week. Yeah. Oh man, I was I was up in the uh, Hudson Valley with my girlfriend, so I didn't watch a uh, a lot of football. Dude, the the quad box um, is special. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna box. have to go with the 32 inch TV about 10 feet away from me as I'm trying to quad walk, quad box the 739 games. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's tough. I'm gonna go with uh, Arthur Smith and or Bijan Robinson, whoever was responsible for not listing him on the injury report and then so weird that was odd but he's my fraud there's a lot of other frauds in college football but that one sticks out yeah um i'm only i'm up in the air between two 
two quarterbacks that people think are elite, uh, Caleb Williams and Josh and Josh Allen. Uh, I got to see I got to see the Bills Bills play yesterday in person, and oh boy, that Pats team is not good, and that was not, that was not a good performance, Foxborough yesterday. Uh, not a good one in, in LA on Saturday night. Saturday night either. All right. Anything else? Move on to the Titanic matchup. So the fighting, the fighting Phils come to town. Phils' third revenge game against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish with the Pitt Panthers, two and five, only one win against an FBS program. Unfortunately, it's the team that beat Notre Dame. But Notre Dame twenty point favorites. Um, that line scares me because I think we all know how these games against Pat Narduzzi and Pitt go. Um, look, like, I think this is just, at, at least offensively, like, this is one of the least impressive teams that I think has walked into Notre Dame Stadium, maybe outside of, like, Tennessee State, like, outside of the stinker three at the start of the year. Like, I, I think this team's on par with NC State on offense with, like, it's a similar level of team, but, like, kind of, you know, if you're talking NCAA football 14 ratings, call NC State Bs across the board. Pitt's, like, very similar, just with a bunch of B minuses. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. I think they are extremely poor uh, at at all positions. Uh, we mentioned Phil. I don't. Is he even going to travel? Tight end. <laughs> yeah, no. he'll travel so, tight end. <laughs> we found we found out that we actually found out that that rumor that was a rumor. That's false. That he is just not. He's still with the quarterbacks. He's oh. just not. He's just not the number one. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. I don't know I'm which not, one's more sad. Honestly. But. Yeah, I am not a Phil guy by any means, but no. he's probably better than the backup that they're going to try it out there. I think maybe he's, he's, he's more of a mental midget, but their like their backup is not good. Did you see how they lost to Wake? Yeah, I was I was going to say we shouldn't touch on that too. Give it that should have been our, our role in here. But yeah, what I, a, uh, what an awful way to lose to Wake. That was so bad. So speaking of that quarterback, we know that he has no situational awareness because last yeah. week they're they're up. So 17-13 on Wake with the ball and need one first down to ice the game. And that guy breaks loose of the pocket, has 40 yards in front of him, including the first down marker, and slides before the first, it starts to slide before the first down marker. They don't get the first down. Wake gets the ball back, drives down the field, and scores a touchdown. Pitt loses. Beyond how bad they are as a football team, that has to be devastating. It, it's got to be so hard to suit up for not only a game, but a week of practice. After going after losing like that to a bad wake team, yeah. I, I mean, like, one, it's a like you know, Pitt in prior years, like, what's scares one, like, they never like, like I had Kenny Pickett, but we never really played Pickett when he was like really going. I think we played him early on in his career, maybe 2020, um, when we absolutely throttled them. That was a fun game, um, but like. There is nothing about this team that scares me, particularly on offense. Like, they're always going to have a solid defense. They're good against the run. Look, like, with a bye week, the main thing that I want to see here is getting back. Like, Marcus Freeman touched on on this in this presser today. It's just the execution now. Like, are are we sold on Jared Parker? No. But a, a lot of the times, like, it's execution. Like, the plays have been there, you think. Second and 15 screen against Ohio State. A bunch of runs where, you know, we're missing a hole or too slow to hit it. Dropped balls. There's plays to be had against really good defense, better defenses than Pitt has. I, I hope the bye week, the players took it, relaxed, rested up. I know Estime, like he was definitely banged up last couple games. 
Yeah. I'd love to see him back in. You know, keep him like 15 carries. Get the younger guys some reps. Price love. Let them hit a game breaker. And you know, am I looking for a stress three game? Of course, it's what it should be. We're 20 point favorites, but really, what's going to come down to? I want to see Sam Hartman get back to being Sam Hartman. Make the easy throws. Get the ball downfield. We haven't been pushing it, so I, I don't know. Execution, there's not necessarily one thing I can point to, to as like a key to this game. It's just do what we do. I thought you preached. I thought you preached on that, brother. That was that was <laughs> awesome. I think like similar to like a, a NFL franchise drafting a quarterback and not having anything around him to know what they have. That's a little bit what we're dealing with Jerry Parker. Like you did mention it. Like there were some plays that if we hit, it looks a lot different. Yeah. And I still don't think we have anything there, but like there, the execution has not been there. So I think you you absolutely encapsulate everything we're looking for. And what Freeman said was was interesting. He didn't say he what he said was it's not more more more. It's like clean clean clean. So I do like that approach. It's like let's not implement anything new. Let's just get a lot better at what we haven't been doing well. Yeah, and I think the like there'll be some the other thing to that right. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot with silly things. Like yeah. let's let's play yes let's execute the offense but hey let's also not take ten or twelve penalties either right like let's not let's not do that let's come out of the bye week focused and not end up with a bunch of false starts or 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 dumb holding penalties right let's 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 clean that let's make sure that it's a clean game up front um, I think Pitt is going to Pitt's defense actually will stick a little stingy um, they uh, they'll like I think this offense is horrid I think it's very very bad. However, I think this defense uh, can hang a bit. So they're going to bring a ton of pressure on Hartman. I think they're going to try to – they'll try to confuse the interior, especially, like, mess with the guards. I think early on it's going to be really important to hit those quick throws, like, early, early in the first quarter. Like, find your find your slot guys for slants, find them for outs, right? Like, you know, and then once you start backing them off and you make sure that Hartman has the time, I think that's when you kind of take the top off. Um a bit, but I think their run defense is going to be pretty solid, and I think they're going to try to bring a ton of pressure. For us defensively, I'd like to see us bring a lot of pressure as well. The quarterback's young. I think he's only started four games. Like, I, we've done a really good job of speeding quarterbacks up and not giving them time to make decisions and read the field, but let's keep doing that. I think this offensive line and pit offensive line is very gettable. Um, I'd love to see the defensive line have another huge day, uh, similar to what they did against, uh, against USC. So let's speed these guys up and and not give him time to make decisions. Yeah. Tom, that was another thing I want to touch on. It's like we've been raving all year about this defense, particularly the last few weeks. The defense has the opportunity to, like, it's pit. If we let them hang around, like, they will hang around. We have the opportunity to crush their soul in the first few drives. It's a bad offense, young quarterback. Get after him. Don't let them, you know, I think it's like get them off the field early too. Like this is like mm-hmm. usually like, you know, Ben don't break, but like I, I say break, like that this isn't a team that's going to consistently probably bust, you know, huge plays like a USC or an Ohio state. Awesome. I'm okay with us being a little more aggressive. Yeah. Especially early, early on, like, you know, pin them. Like we haven't been great in the field position battle, but you, you keep these guys from crossing the 50 for their first few drives. Like, that's you know you're taking their soul. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be a great atmosphere, I think, in South Bend. But you you know just get some momentum, get this one out of the way early. But you know we we know how these things go. Hopefully the weather's nice. I haven't looked, but 
Uh, it's supposed to be nice in Chicago, so it should be. It should be, yeah. Um, yeah. Gaddy, sorry. No, I just honestly just want to give some props to Al Golden. I feel like we haven't given him enough love this year. He's yeah. like just – I. it took him a little bit last year to figure it out, but I don't know. I think he's doing an incredible job right now with his team. Like knows his personnel really well. Um, I do expect him to dial up again off a of bye week. Then also be ready for Clemson. Shout out, shout out, Al Golden. We've been tough on you, but you're a dog. Uh, yeah, Al Golden's been doing awesome. We're unfair to him, I think, in your because this isn't an mm-hmm. NFL guy. He's not, you know, a guy who's going to run like, you know, yeah. base, re- read and react. Like he, he's going to throw complex stuff at you. And I think the beauty of it is, is we've had, you know, fifth, sixth year guys who, you know, now they have a couple years in the system where that stuff that seemed tougher at first last year is like now they know what they're doing. They know where they need to be. They can play fast. It's not, it's not a defense where you can step on the field, play fast immediately. And I think that hurt us at times last year where it was bend, don't break, especially in the red zone. Yeah. yeah and he's learned too. Like, you know, yeah. it's great. Well, play. He'll be the number three red zone defense in the country. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you think you said we're unfair? And, and that might, that might be some sort of truth, but it's, it's less about us being unfair on him last year and more about him being willing and able to adjust this year. Having more time because you know, I think a lot of us, I think I, I forget, especially that Al Goldman came in, didn't come in until middle to end of February after coming off the Super Bowl with the Bengals. He had a he did not have a full off season, right? Like, and, and he was trying to bring some NFL things to a college locker room, which is difficult because the players are not, you know, this is as much as we like to think this is their full time job, it's not, right? Like mm-hmm. they still do have to other things going on in their life uh, as a college student. So, uh, I think him having a full another like a full off season and him having a full twelve games, thirteen games under his belt really helped him. I think this defense has come such such a long way. Um, and for right now, it's it's a really good mix of some really some athletes, some better athletes than we thought we had with uh, with some older guys in the back end who who know we're know we're going on in Cam Hart and uh, and uh, my God and Bertrand. Yeah. Should we get any uh, predictions for this one? Anything else? One more thing, um, or two more things, real quick. First of all, welcome back, Sebo and Shane Simon. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, Shane Simon, we, Clemson, twenty twenty. Thank you. Yeah, hey man, awesome. Uh, you know, I I won't be cheering for Phil, but you know, I wouldn't be upset to see those guys. It's not all. It's too. not all. No love lost. Yeah, exactly. And then Sebo uh, was fun. Sebo was yeah. fun. Graduated. Yeah, they both graduated. Both both graduated. And then uh, the other thing is Narduzzi. Like, I don't know if there's a program in the country that Narduzzi hates more than the one that's located in South Bend. And it's not IUSB. I mean, he he despises Notre Dame. I heard today in his press conference that he bought up a phantom offensive pass interference on Miles Boykin from 2019. Um, Like, that was the most – he actually mentioned that in his press conference. So – that's the other thing I, I kind of just keep an eye out for. Like wow. this, te- this team's going to be close to being on quit watch after last week. If Narduzzi can give anything out of the tank this week, he will. Um, he might get, he might offer them Fridays off for the rest of the year if they <laughs> if they get this one. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he has a trick or two up his sleeve because he hates he hates everything about this place. What a tool! Yeah, I'd love I'd, I'd love to shove it up his hoop and, and put a fifty piece on him, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, okay. All right, picks. D D. Uh, maybe because 
yeah, just maybe because you were in the Hudson Valley. I don't know what's happening, but tough week for you. One and five. Uh, you actually caught the, the meetup. Well, the lock. You, you hit the lock. Up. You hit your lock, which was great. Uh, that was looking. That was looking like he was in jeopardy too. I don't know if you how much that game yeah. you watched on Thursday six night, two. but it was three two and it was six two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That one. That was a funky one. Uh, Ian, Ian, you now took the lead. Actually, uh, yeah, congratulations. scraped by. Yeah, scraped by. You were three and three. I was three and three as well. Um, a couple of those so, could have gone a, a couple different ways. Uh, yeah, Duke, 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 Duke was, was tough for all of us. Duke yeah. was tough for all of us. Yeah. Uh, Thought I had Tennessee. Nope. You yeah, looked again, Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. I also up twenty to six. Like, yeah, counted some chickens there. Mm-hmm. But uh, alas, this is the college football that we sign up for. Yeah. All right. So we'll start off with our game this week, three thirty on NBC for those not in attendance. I think it's most of us. But uh, Notre Dame favored by twenty here. Uh, who you guys got? Maybe score prediction with that as well. Dude, I'm gonna go first. I think we roll. <laughs> I love this. I think. I honestly thought the line would be closer to twenty four. I think they're bad. I think they're beaten down. I think they probably have heard the same spiel from Narduzzi that's gone in one ear out the other. Um, and I think we're well rested and kind of committed to finish this year strong. So I think these teams are heading in opposite directions. Love the way we're headed. We roll. I think we need to get the 35 to cover. I think we get a little more than that. I'm going to go 38 to 14. Mm, 38 14. Right around there. I, I legitimately think that they can't score. I, I think they get seven on like some kind of like busted player, like <laughs> drive. Narduzzi's not going to pull up against our backups. It might be like that type of thing, like yeah. Dino Baber's sad drive at the end of the game. Like I, I, I think our defense, like Al Golden with a week to prepare, the guys rested. You know, we've remained healthy on defense, knock on wood. Um, I think we play, I think we created defense, a couple turnovers, maybe a defensive touchdown force them into some mistakes. <clears throat> but ultimately, I think we see the offense get back on track. I Like, this is a bad team. I, I, I think, you know, with a week off, I think Marcus, you know, this team loves him. Like, mm-hmm. he's shown the ability to get their minds in the right spot after tough situations. Now, you know, Louisville, like, it is what it is. But now with a week off, like, you know, you have one focus for that entire week. You're not coming off of two mentally draining games. Um, you're coming off. You have some great momentum. You know, forty-one-seven. Damn it, D. Uh, all right, I'll go. Uh, I'll go thirty-eight-ten Irish. <laughs> so I wanted. I wanted that, but uh, for uh, thirty-eight-ten Irish, uh, I think that we got. We kind of light it up here a bit. Um, again, I said before, I'd like to see a fifty burger. Uh, it's tough to predict that. I think uh, we'll know in the third quarter if we'll get there or not, but. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. Just coming off, coming off the bye week, let's get get everybody healthy again. They said uh, Thomas and Great House are close to 100. Um, percent Again, I think SJ was a little banged up, um, so I, get get the offense back back healthy. And also, um, truthfully, it's like, if, especially from Parker's standpoint, whether we think it's his fault or, the, or it's the execution's fault, like a week off to kind of hit the reset button, uh, take a deep breath, and and actually get a chance to do some real introspection and, and evaluation of what's going on. I think can help this offense. Oh, the self scouting this way. week. The self scouting right. is massive. It might be bigger yeah. than the scout. The the self scout might be bigger than the pit scout this week. For yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah, like, look, yeah. Let's do play the game on our terms, uh, and let's win this thing going away, uh, and then everybody can go to their Halloween parties. Uh, so I was say, 30 Holden's, 
Holden stays two touchdowns. I think he, he bounces back. He's been quiet. Yeah, it's been quiet. Maybe Reardon gets his first one too. We'll see. If there's a Faison TD prep, I'm hitting it. Oh yeah, for sure. I I'm a I'm a Faison stand now. Uh, I'm gonna get an eighty. I'm gonna get a number eighty jersey. Um, all right. Next one we're looking at is Oregon, and actually in the same slot, pretty good three thirty slate. Uh, Oregon is at Utah, uh, three thirty on Fox. Uh, Oregon is seven point road favorites. So Utah's seven point home dogs. Who you guys got in this one? Both t- both teams six and one with a chance to put a chokehold on the uh, or chokehold on second spot, second place in Pac twelve. This is this is gross to be honest. This is a tough <laughs> one to pick. Like yeah. a fun game, exciting game. Yeah, but like yeah. a really tough one to read. Yeah, I agree. Um, Utah still like I know Bryson, whatever his name is, Bryson Byer. Who's the Utah quarterback? It's a great question. I'm trying to find it now. Um, he played well, but it's the yeah. Bar- Bryce Bryce Barnes. I don't know. Let's give me the youth. Give me the youth at home. Seven point dogs. Give me the youth. Yeah. I think we just see a little bounce bounce back out of the Ducks. They, they've kind of stayed in the shadows after the Oregon game. They had a bye last week, or did they run it up on someone? I forget. I think they had a bye. Yeah, with, with the bye, like I, I think USC's defense is legitimately just that bad. I don't think. Utah's offense is literally anything yeah. special. I struggle. Me to see I want to clarify, me neither. But I struggle to see them getting to twenty, candidly in this game. And I think Oregon's going to have you know just enough juice to get above like right around twenty-eight. So I think they cover. You so said you said Oregon's in, Oregon's in cover D. Yep. All right, I'm with uh, I'm with Ian on this one. Uh, I think that. I actually think that Oregon wins the game, but Utah keeps it close. I'm seeing, like, I'm thinking like three or four uh, would be the final here. Uh, I think that I don't think Bryson Barnes is him by any means, but I think this deep Utah defense is for real. Um, and Rice Eccles is just a really, really tough place to play and uh, for, for anybody. And that, that place to be jumping like it usually is for any Big Ten game. Uh, so I think Bryce Eccles is enough to keep it close. It's a noon kick out west. Noon kick out west. All right, one o'clock, one o'clock in the mountain time. One o'clock in the mountains there. So yeah, but I'll take I'll take Utah to either push to that number or keep it inside that number at seven. Ian, you're right. So it's a, that's a disgusting number. Yeah. All right, this next one I think is really interesting. Uh, it's tough to it's really tough for us to pick on Monday given we don't know how everybody's feeling uh, from a from a physical health standpoint. But Duke is going to Louisville. Uh, Louisville four-point home favorites here. And I'm trying to figure out when this game is, but it is oh, also 3.30 on ESPN. So, what you guys got here? Oh, man. Like, if Riley Leonard plays, I'm picking Duke, but we saw them absolutely fold and not being able – they can't do a thing if he's not in the game. Yeah. Um, honestly, like, I guess their season is on the line. They might play him. Gosh, I, I I hate not knowing here. Um, like Louisville, I, I know they're running back. Joel Jordan, like he got hurt. He's a little banged up, but um, I'm gonna take Duke. I, I I think this is low scoring, maybe a field goal. And I just like what Elko's doing. I think he's a good coach. He he's able to bounce back here. And I just like I think Louisville's also a fraudulent team. Like they beat us, but like god damn, everything went their way. They're not creating five turnovers again. Go ahead, Slav. 
Um, I think I'm going to land on Duke as well. Uh, I don't love it, but uh, I think that if you get Riley Leonard to play, he's probably better than Jack Plummer. Um, I think my, I just, I, this is more a hitch my, hitch my pick to the Mike Elko wagon. I just, he's a really, really good coach. I think that entire staff is incredible. Um, and I've been super impressed with this Duke defensive line too. You know, Jamarion Franklin's the Notre Dame transfer. Uh, they got a hole. I think they got some dudes up front, man. And they, they'll do everything they can to keep this game close. Um, so I'll, I'll take Duke on the road uh, in in, Lex, in uh, Louisville. Um, I'm going to go with Duke as well, but I love it actually. Yeah. I, I, I was really impressed from what I saw to start that game. And like, I just think that whole coaching staff uh, does a really good job. Kind of at Duke as underdogs, give me that. I think they're a tough mm-hmm. team to beat. They're a really tough team to beat. Um, all right. The next one is a noon kick, actually, uh, on Fox. Uh, you got number six, Oklahoma, going to Kansas. Uh, Oklahoma, nine and a half point favorites. Who you guys got here? Another one is is Jalen Daniels playing? That's a great question. Is that that is, is a big, is a big deal? With, uh, yeah, with that I, line, I, I would guess he's playing with that line. Yeah, so would I. Um, These games are weird. Oklahoma's always good for a stinker in the Big 12. I think they got it out last week against UCF. I, I think they're just way more talented on the outside. We saw how physical they can be, and I think, you know, Venables is a hard ass. Yeah. I, I, I think he whips them in the shape. I'm going to go with the Sooners to cover. We, we saw Texas kind of pull away. Like Kansas outside of Jalen Daniels doesn't really have anything. They had kind of very lucky touchdown to even like hang around in that game. Um, obviously, that was in Austin, but I, I think the nine and a half, the 10 would give me some pause, but I, I think this is around 10, 13 point game, Oklahoma. It looks like he is questionable. Mm hmm. Even if he plays, though, he's not going to be 100%. Um, I'm with you on a lot of that, D. I think Oklahoma got another system. Um, Dylan Gabriel's probably ready to cook. Kansas defense can be had. I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take the Sooners. Yeah, I, I've watched, I watched some Kansas earlier this year, and I was pretty underwhelmed with, with them on the whole. I still think Lance Leipold's got a good things going, and I want everybody to be abundantly clear that I will be rooting for the Jayhawks yeah. on Saturday. Like, that is the uh, them winning is the ideal result, but uh, when I'm being asked to pick the game against the spread, I, I think that Oklahoma will ultimately bounce back after a tough week against UCF. Uh, I think they, I really think Dylan Gable is a pretty good a pretty good football player. Uh, I'm starting to grow uh, fond of uh, fond of his game for sure. So I think I think Oklahoma goes on the road here, picks up another win, and kind of keeps keeps marching towards that Big Twelve title game. Pretty locked up so uh, far. Last, yeah, we are. We are. D, you're the only. One, you're the only one with some variants. I, I hope this game. This game might give give us some variants because I have no idea what to do with this one. But uh, another SEC East rivalry here. We have Tennessee going to Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee three and a half point uh, road favorites here. Games at seven p.m. on ESPN. Who you guys got? This one is tough. Yeah. I know. I, this is a weird game. I think Tennessee. Yeah, they they have a pretty solid defense, but and you know Kentucky like while they don't have a ton, Devin Leary's very okay. Um, 
I, I, I think this is one where the home crowd down at Kroger Field, the hillbillies get drinking early. Uh, they may not win, but I see this, you know, maybe being a back and forth weird game. I'll take Kentucky home team. I haven't picked an underdog yet, so. Ian, go ahead. I'm sick of betting on Tennessee. <laughs> tells me that I should do it one more time. And I'm, I'm going to take the balls to do it. I don't know why. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I, I think Dono's right that it's going to be kind of probably rocking there. Um, but after Kentucky played Florida, they kind of took a step back. Uh, and I think Tennessee has an opportunity to bounce back. Everything probably looks a little bit easier and a little bit slower on the field the week after playing Bama. That's a, a that is a good point there. Um, I, it's a tough one, man. I, I don't know why. That's just saying Kentucky. Um, I love every. I, I really like Ray Davis. I think he's really really solid. Um, with being being at home, I think that run game is that run game is going to matter. Hopefully, you don't have to rely too much on Devin Leary. Devin Leary quietly has fourteen touchdowns through every games they played, which is not not bad. Very not very quietly. Very quietly. very very quietly. Yeah. But uh, it's like a mess. Uh, yeah, I, I like Ray Davis a lot here. Um, I think Mark Stoops will have these guys going at home. So uh, I will take I will take Kentucky to keep it inside three and a half. Um, all right, now locks. We got something they like on the locks board. I think it's a tough week for locks, honestly. It get, is. Get later, get later in the season, it's going to be more you, difficult. You can get pretty, pretty sick pretty quick on this board. I got uh, sick fast if anybody wants mine first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Nebraska minus two and a half. I was thinking that one too. I was considering. <laughs> it. Yeah, they're a very sneaky four and three. Rules got them they're running like an option right now. It's wild. Yeah, and it just might work one more time. They got Purdue yeah. coming to town. I've been very underwhelmed with what Purdue's put on the field. I locked I like them up that. against. Th- this might be a revenge pick because I was I had Purdue beaten Syracuse a few weeks ago and they choked that one away big time. So uh, like revenge pick lot. here. I also like. I think rule could be a little bit cringy sometimes, but I genuinely like what he's doing with the program. I think he actually is moving them in the right direction. It's a Herculean effort, um, yeah. but let's get the Hustlers to five and three. He is such a cheese ball sometimes though. <laughs> he really is. All right. I got one. Um, despite Mississippi state beating Arkansas, that was one of the worst football, de- football games you could ever watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Mississippi State, I think, is in a bad spot as a program. Will Rogers hasn't played in a little bit. He'll probably play in this game. Despite that, Auburn coming off of a, a, a game at Ole Miss where they actually played pretty well. Um, they're back home against Jordan Hare. They made a quarterback switch. They got Jordan Ashford, who looked pretty lively in their game, and they're six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I think they could win by a touchdown. Give me give me more damn eagle. That game, that game might be – or that might game that game might be super duper slow. Doesn't matter as long as you win. No, I, I don't. don't I, I agree. Matter. I actually, I actually like that pick a lot. I just I, the total, the total is even higher than I thought it was going to be. Forty. Yeah. But. Notre Dame I, would be I, my lock if that was available, though. I'm, I'm, I love, <laughs> I love us. <laughs> All right, I, I have kind of, kind of. It's not sick. Like these are both two very relevant teams in the college football landscape, but uh. I, I think this is a really good offense playing against a pretty good defense, but there's going to be a lot of points and a, an okay offense going against an absolutely dreadful defense. The over-under in this game is 64. It's the Deion Sanders-led Colorado Buffaloes. 
against UCLA. I le- I legitimately think that Shadur can put up a lot of points coming off a bye. You know, I know they're banged up. They had a week to get healthy. I think they get around 28 or so, but I think UCLA gets to like 40-something. So I'm going to take the over 64 in that game. This this deep, I, I like that you put it out there. This UCLA defense has been really good this year. Uh, we'll see if, if Shadur has any answers. I think your best bet here, obviously, would be Travis Hunter. Please don't play defense. But, yeah. 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 But uh, that, that's a risk. I'm kind of banking on them putting up enough points. I know they're going to give up enough points. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Uh, that game's at UCLA, right, D? It is. Awesome. Right. Let's make some money. Would love, right. love, love for us to have another great week here. Yeah. Great interview this week as well. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. All right, guys. I will go Irish. Talk to you next week. Peace.